Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for On the Money, presented by Embassy National Bank. Hi, everybody. This is Joe Moss, and I am your moderator of On the Money, brought to you by Embassy National Bank. Um, On the Money is the number one small business show on Business Radio X, and uh, as of uh, last week, we are averaging about 21,000 listeners per show. Um, We're excited about that. Uh, Embassy National Bank is a nationally chartered financial institution. Our deposits are insured by the FDIC. On the show, we discuss topics designed to help small business succeed because at Embassy National Bank, we're proud of how we help small business. Again, I'm Joe Moss. I'm the host and president of Embassy National Bank, and we welcome you to the Subaru of Gwinnett studio. Um, that music that you played at the beginning, is that new? Ironically that you ask, yes. It is new. Oh, yes. it's good. I like that. I don't know where it came from. A little birdie dropped it off. I think it's available for licensing. Hit it again, just one more time. That music is available for licensing. So, all right, thanks. Is that all you wanted to say? That's all I wanted okay. to say. <laughs> Today, we're going to talk about one of my favorite subjects. We're going to talk about leadership leadership skills and to do that um, we have in the studio mr rob jenkins who is a senior fellow at uh, the academy for academic leadership he's also an associate professor at uh, georgia state university so rob welcome to the show thank you very much john I'm, I'm happy to be here and um tell us about the academy for academic leadership well the academy is a uh, a consulting firm that works primarily with academic organizations although we've been branching out lately into the corporate world and um, k-12 um, nonprofit, and so forth uh, but we do leadership training and and lots of other things with those organizations and um you and i guess carl i can't remember i'm sorry yeah, yeah dr carl hayden he is the president and ceo of uh, of AAL and he's my co-author on this book. Yeah, and you guys wrote a book. We did. It's called It's called The Nine Virtues of Exceptional Leaders: Unlocking Your Leadership Potential. And I've gone through I went and bought a book and I see you brought one for me. You might want to raise it up for the cameras. And I think uh reading through the discussion guide and some other things, I think it's probably going to be a very exciting book. So talk about when you say virtues of leadership, what are you what do you mean with that? You know, one of the distinctions that we make early in the book, because you you hear a lot of discussion these days of things like ethics and values. And so one of the questions that we encountered early on as we were writing this and as, as we were pulling our ideas together was uh, what's the difference between ethics, values, virtues? Uh, they all seem like they're sort of the same thing. Uh, to the extent that people might even use the terms interchangeably at times. But the distinction we make is that ethics are what you do. That's what you decide to do or not to do. Uh, values are what you believe, and your ethics are based on your values. But virtue is who you are at your very core, and your your values uh, arise out of the the virtues that you embrace so our our basic theory here with this book we really came into this with with three core beliefs one is that 
anybody can be an effective leader. Uh, I think sometimes we have the idea in society that there are certain people who are just born leaders and other people will never be leaders. And we don't believe that's true. That's why the subtitle is Unlocking Your Leadership Potential. We believe that uh, the way that you tap into that is by by improving certain behaviors. And that's really what the virtues are. They're attitudes, yes, but ultimately they're reflected in behaviors. And ultimately what we believe is that for someone to be a better leader, you first have to become a better person. So that that's really what this book is all about. And, and we borrowed from a lot of people, modern people like, uh, like, like uh, Stephen Covey and Ken Blanchard, ancient philosophers. There's a lot of Aristotle and Plato and so forth, Jesus Christ, you know, Dr. King, Mother Teresa. We talk about a lot of different people who have, who have over the years, over the centuries, exemplified these virtues. Boy, I don't know where to start, but um, what, are the, what are the various styles of leadership that, you, that you've learned over the years? And I'm certain you probably cover them in the book, but what are the various styles of leadership that you and I would have seen over the years? Well, I, I think, uh, and you and I were, were chatting about this briefly before the show, I think sometimes you can, you can maybe put leadership on a continuum with uh, a laissez-faire attitude on one end, leaders who just sort of step back and, and let people do whatever. And on the other end, you've got the extreme micromanagers. And, and both of those are problematic. Sometimes your laissez-faire leaders are that way because that's a philosophy of theirs that they ought to let people just sort of have their head. And uh, sometimes they're that way because they're lazy. Uh, and on the other end, you've got uh, the micromanagers who um, basically micromanaging comes down to a lack of trust. That's, that's what I believe. You just you don't trust the people that work for you. You don't think that they can do a good job unless you're standing right over them all the time. And, and both of those attitudes, I, I believe, are destructive to organizations, whether they're large organizations or small organizations like a, like a small business. You know, we had a special interest in appearing on, on this show in particular, and we're, we're grateful to be invited because uh, the Academy for Academic Leadership is a small business. Mm-hmm. And what we do in our business might be a little different from what some of your listeners do in their businesses, but, but uh, at its heart, it's a small business. Um, so we're, we're, we're very sensitive to that. But we believe that, that, um, that people can acquire these various behaviors that will make them, first of all, better human beings and, mm-hmm. and over time, better leaders. How does, as we go through this and we talk about different virtues, how does one who is running a small business or a leader of a business, how do they know what kind of style they actually have? Well, a lot that, of people don't understand what kind of leader they are. No, they don't. And a lot of people don't really stop to think about it very much, you know, which is one of the reasons that we write a book like this, because we want people to stop and think about it and, and do some self-evaluation. And one of the things that we talk about early in the book and one of the early chapters is, um, is the importance of lifelong learning as a leader. Part of that learning, of course, th- that includes reading, that includes learning from other leaders, uh, it includes a lot of things, but part of that is self-reflection and learning to to look at yourself somewhat objectively, at least. It's very difficult for human beings to be completely objective about themselves, but, but as much as possible, take a step back. Um, you know, you can also ask the people who work for you. 
but uh, that that might take some guts because you better be prepared for the answers you're going to get. Mm-hmm. If um, if people are afraid to give you honest answers about your leadership style, that tells you something right there. There's a problem. There's a problem. Right. Absolutely. We've gone. I'm um, in in the old days. What I was used to was this boss who drew this organizational chart and we all fit in this organizational chart and then it was demanded that you do certain things right and i talked earlier about how we evolved from that but you're saying that no the kind of effective leadership has been around forever well the ideas have been around forever uh, we haven't always uh, lived up to those ideals and and i i think that we still don't probably but um, you know, the, the kind of top-down leadership model that you're talking about is effective in certain types of organizations. Um, it's very effective in the military, for example. Um, it's those of us who have played on sports teams. You know, we didn't, uh, we didn't have a huddle, uh, you know, with three seconds on the clock and, and uh, take a vote as to what play we were going to run to try to win the game. You know, the coach said, here's what you're going to do. Um, and, and so that, that's, that sort of style or, or, or that, that kind of leadership can be very effective in certain situations. The problem is when you're a business owner and you're, you're leading, and, and if you're a business owner, you are a leader, whether you intend to be or not, whether you set out to be a leader, whether you think of yourself as a leader, you are a leader. And people in that business are looking to you for leadership. Mm-hmm. If a significant number of people in that organization are intelligent, well-educated, independent thinkers, then that kind of top-down leadership that might work in the military or might work with the ball team or, or you know, might even work in a factory doesn't really work when you're, when you're leading a, a, an IT company, for example, or um, a, a company like Carl's that does consulting. Because everybody that works for Carl is highly educated everybody's an independent thinker everybody has their their ideas and and, and one of the things that that we uh, I, I believe the first virtue that we talk about in this book is humility and um, you know I think it was Stephen Covey Covey said that uh, humility is the mother of all virtues because mm-hmm. to acquire these virtues you first of all have to recognize that you don't already have them or have them to the extent that you would like but uh, a big part of humility is simply willingness to listen to others. It's acknowledging that you personally might not have all the answers, that you're not necessarily the smartest person in the room. Hopefully, if you're a business owner, you're trying to bring in people that are smarter than you or at least have skills and knowledge that you don't um, to perform functions that so that you don't have to perform them yourself or maybe that you're not capable of performing. Going back to your sport example, I've uh, it just flashed that, uh, you know, the in, on a ball field, you're, you're kind of told what to do and then you just go do it. But in order for that to be effective, the coach or whoever has got to have spent a lot of time with the different players on the team in order to build ownership in the concept. Um, so it's, it's kind of like uh, a little bit of mixture of the two. Absolutely, and and that's kind of my own background. I was a, a small college basketball coach in, uh, for 13 years and coached in high school for four years also uh, before I, I, I left that and got into college administration and mm-hmm. teaching. What you're saying is exactly right. You may, you may be the one drawing up the play. Um, you may be the one yanking people out of the game because they didn't do something they were supposed to do. 
but in order for that to to be effective ultimately there there has to be a degree of trust those players have to believe that uh that first of all you know what you're doing um they might not like what you're doing but they have to believe that you have a plan and they have to believe that that in the long run you have their best interest at heart as well as the best interest of the team and and if you have that trust which as you say is established over hours and hours and hours of practice time time outside of practice if you have that then they're going to be a lot more likely to accept your leadership even when they don't necessarily like it and if they trust your virtues which is who you are they're going to line up even more and even quicker absolutely and those that don't trust your virtues or don't buy in those are the people that just naturally fall away absolutely and and i'll take that a step further and and say that that as a leader you can model those virtues for others virtues like courage uh perseverance you know wisdom hope um that's when when we go out and and speak about the book uh, one of the things that people often ask us to talk about is the, is the idea of hope, which is one of the virtues that we have in the book, and the the importance for leaders of creating a a climate of hope within an organization. Mm-hmm. From a a leadership standpoint, what are the say one or let's say two or three things that the leader has to grasp relative to his role in the organization? I think first of all you have to you have to accept that you don't know everything that there are other people in that organization that know things that you don't and um, and who have uh, perspective on things that's different from your perspective but is is also very valuable um, I think you have to grasp the the amount of influence you have over the people that you lead whether you're attempting to influence them or not and whether you're setting a good example or a bad example, you are setting an example, and, and they are going to line up and follow that example. They're going to do what they see you doing. Um, and it's as simple as, you know, a, a simple example would be if, if I'm hired for a new company and the first day at work I show up in a suit and tie and I see that the boss is wearing khakis and a polo, well, the next day I'm going to be wearing khakis and a polo sure. because I see that that's the culture of that organization. And not suggesting that there's anything wrong in the world with anything in the world wrong with that. Just making the point that you are setting an example, whether you're aware that you're setting an example or not. It's a very powerful example. There is a, a thought process. We'll get to the virtues in just a minute. But the, there's a, a concept about uh, leaders being appointed versus leaders be uh, emerging. I'm a big follower of letting leaders emerge. Is that the most effective way for to appoint leaders? Well, I mean, it depends on a lot of different things. It depends on the organization. Um, you know, certainly in our in our democratic political system, we elect our leaders. Um, in in some companies, it's you know leaders are appointed top down. In other companies, they're they're chosen from within the ranks. And and any of those can be effective. I think. No, I don't think any of those is necessarily better than any others. I've always thought that the people who make the best leaders are the ones who, and this is a personal opinion, by the way, it uh, really doesn't even appear in the book, but since you asked, I've always thought that the best leaders are the ones who 
aren't necessarily seeking a leadership position, but they find themselves in that position. In it. Yeah. Maybe it's because, um, uh, just, uh, because of circumstances. Um, maybe they recognize that they have something to, to offer. I mean, I, I come from the academic world, which is a little different from the corporate world, but it's not altogether different. We have a lot of the same issues and problems. And, you, you know, you've got people, I've always called them climbers, who, are, who will just do anything, step on anybody, climb over anybody just to get that leadership position. So they get a raise, so they get a corner office, so they get to tell people what to do. In my experience, those, those have not been the most effective leaders. It's the people who, um, it's the faculty member who's, you know, really well respected and the administration goes to her and says, you know, we, we really need you. The department chair's retiring. We really need you to take over this position. And she says, well, I'd kind of rather not, but if you really need me to, I will. Um, very often those people make the best kinds of leaders. I, I agree with that. Um, you're listening to On the Money, brought to you by Embassy National Bank, and we're having a good discussion with Rob Jenkins, who is a senior fellow at the Academy for Academic Leadership, and we're talking about um, leadership, and we're talking about his book, uh, written along with Dr. Uh, Carl Hayden, The Nine Virtues of Exceptional Leaders, Unlocking Your Leadership Potential. So let's get to it. Why don't we go through the, um, what are the various virtues of leadership? I knew you were going to ask me that. That's why I brought a copy. I brought this copy of the book so I could give it to you, but also so I could refer to it because um, with nine of them, I can't always remember. I, if people ask me what they are, I'm sitting there going, and, and I, you know, I, I get up to eight and I'm thinking, which one did I what leave did out? I miss? So, I so anyway, um, I, I've got the book right here in front of me. Um, but the virtues that we talk about are humility. First of all, I mentioned that. Um, honesty. Right. Uh, and, and we had some discussions over what exactly to call that chapter, but we ended up going with honesty because we think it encompasses more behaviors than, than some of the other words that, that might go along with it. Uh, courage, perseverance, uh, hope. I mentioned that earlier. Charity. Again, we, we tried to figure out exactly what to call that. Um, love was another word, but that, that was sort of what we meant, but not exactly. So we just went with the word charity there. Uh, balance, which is something that people talk about a lot nowadays, uh, wisdom, and ultimately justice. And and we did put justice last of the nine because uh, because we think it's the ultimate virtue. Oh man, we could talk all day about this stuff. I want to go through and and um, I went to the website by the way, and on the website, which is uh, nine virtues of leadership. No, it's just ninevirtues.com. Ninevirtues.com. There is a discussion guide, which, as you read the book, has a lot of interesting questions. I want to go to the one that I felt was really good. You contrasted John Wooden to Bobby Knight. John Wooden is the old coach of UCLA that won how many championships? Uh, I think he won 11. And how many in a row? I mean, it was like seven or eight in a row. Every year it was yes, like, why yeah. even watch UCLA win? And the everybody's favorite, Bobby Knight, who uh, has gone from being a winning coach but also throwing chairs across the <laughs> basketball court. So why don't you compare and contrast those those two styles? You know, and, and let me say up front, I, I, I admire both those guys. As an old basketball coach myself, I admire both those guys a great deal. And 
And I, I also have to give a shout out to my dad's side of the family. My dad is from Bedford, Indiana, which is about an hour south of Bloomington. And uh, my dad came south to go to school, but all of his, his my, my aunts and uncles went to IU. So, Well, there's a whole lot more to Bobby Knight than throwing a chair a- across a basketball court. Absolutely. And I, I think um, as a coach, what I admired most about Coach Knight and, and what I think leaders can learn from him is his ability to to get the very best out of his players. He didn't always have the best players. He had good players, but he didn't necessarily have the best players. But he seemed to be able to get them to play their best. Um, and that's, uh, you know, that's, that's really your, as a coach, that's your, your primary function is to... And, but didn't we see some behind-the-scenes looks in terms of how he went about doing that? Yeah, and, you, you know, the, the, the issue that I have with Coach Knight, and, and you mentioned I compared him in the book to Coach Wooden, is uh, I, I do think that Coach Knight's ego got in the way a little bit of his success. But he's had so many good players. He, he has had. But and he's mentored a lot of coaches. He, he Absolutely. And some of the best coaches in the game today are people that he mentored. But w- one of the things that's really curious about, about Coach Knight and about the Indiana teams is as good as those teams were, I, somebody can correct me if I'm wrong about this, but I don't think he produced any all-time NBA greats, except for Isaiah Thomas. And Isaiah Thomas left after two years. Now, What about Oscar Robertson? Didn't he come from Indiana? No, no. he came from Cincinnati. He went to Cincinnati. Right. That's right. Plus, he was before Knight's time. I think, I think Knight played against him when he was at, okay. at Ohio State. You know, if, if, you're, if you're winning that big in college and yet you're not producing any big-time, you know, perennial all-star type NBA players, then that says you're, you're doing a really good job with, I don't want to say second-rate talent because that, that has really negative connotations, but maybe not as much talent as, say, Michigan or Ohio State or some of the schools they're competing against, Duke, North Carolina. So, you know, so that's to his credit. But um, but I always felt that Indiana, as good a program as they were, probably could have gotten better players. Mm-hmm. Um, I just didn't think Coach Knight wanted better players because ultimately, I, you know, we look at those teams and we say, "Wow, how did he win all those championships without any great, great players?" Well, well it's we, his coaching. We weren't in the living room of the Darren recruit. We don't know. That's true. You know how we talk to players. You know, we the bits and pieces. Okay, he threw a basketball at somebody, but hey, we've all done that. I mean. I think there's a whole lot more to him than what we than we don't know behind the scenes. I think so, and I think he's I think he's basically a good guy. Yeah, but I but I do think, and if if we're if we're to take a leadership lesson from this, I I do think his ego was a little bit of an obstacle for him. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you can contrast that with Coach Wooden, um, I don't I don't know if there's ever been anybody in the sports world who was as great and as accomplished as Coach Wooden who was so self-effacing and always putting his players out there. And when people praised him, he was quick to, to deflect that to his players. Um, and, of course, UCLA had uh, – it would be difficult to count the number of all-time NBA greats that he coached. Sure. Because I, I, think, I think he grasped one of the great lessons for leaders of any organization of any size, and, and that is – if you succeed, I succeed. And it, it doesn't matter who gets credit. We all succeed together. You know, I've certainly worked for people who, who tried to take credit for the things that I did. 
Uh, and I didn't but it appreciate matter, that. Does it? No, no. And it, but they were in it for that. And then I've worked for people who would always deflect that credit and say, sure. "Well, well, thank you, but it was my team that that accomplished that." I always someone asked me one time what I thought some of my strengths were, and I said, "Well, so, well I'm I'm a real good number two. I don't know why I think that, but I've always worked for people that uh, that have been good leaders, right? And um, um, always felt that I really helped them do what they did. Well, in an organization of any size, uh, you know, number two is still a pretty high ranking leader, and it's somebody that other people look at and. And having the uh, the humility, being able to put your own ego aside and and be that person, it's uh, that that's no small thing. And then honesty, we don't see a lot of honesty in today's world, do we? Well, <laughs> no, no, sadly we don't. Um, but you really have to be honest with yourself first, right? And then everybody else about um, the organization, where it is, where it's going. Right, but so you can really get a grasp of where you really are today. Yeah, and some of the things that we talk about in the chapter on honesty are um, uh, transparency, as you're talking about, and and sometimes as an organizational leader, you can't, for personal or legal reasons, be transparent about everything. Sure, but but you can be as transparent as possible, so that the people that you lead can see what's going on and understand why these things are happening, and you communicate with them and you let them know what's going on, even if the news is bad. Right, and even uh, when you're and this is where it gets in trouble when you're sitting and when you're talking to your board, and you want and you're honest about where the organization is and where it's going. Um, I'll be quite frank with you. There are some board members that look at you and go, "Well." Why are you still here if you're being honest like that? Yeah. You know, um, so not everybody gets the whole honesty thing. You know, there's even an idea out there. I, I don't remember the guy's name, but he's written a, a book about this and basically saying that, hey, honesty is overrated. The people that get ahead are the people that lie. Um, and it's easy to look at the world out there and, and conclude that he's correct about that. But 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 we reject that. We We believe that in the long run, being honest will make you more effective and more successful, you know, being transparent. We talk about trustworthiness. We talk about integrity. Uh, and that's I yeah, the old expression. Good guys finish last. Well, um, I don't, re- I, I hope they don't <laughs> No, I, I, I don't think that's really true. <laughs> I get accused of being a boy scout a lot, but I hope I, I mean, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see in the long run where it all comes out. Courage, perseverance. To me, those sound kind of interchangeable in a lot of respects. Well, you know, if, one of the things that we, if you got to, if you're, if you're moving forward on a strategy that you think is the right strategy, you've got to be, you got to have the courage and the perseverance to push through to it. Absolutely. And, and one of the things that we found as we were writing the book was that so many of these virtues, um, overlap and dovetail. You're, you're absolutely right about that. But, um, you know, kind of the distinction that we make there is, um, Yes, it, it does require courage to persevere, but there are other types of courage as well. Courage to, to make right choices, you know, courage to, um, to make corrections where you need to make corrections. All, all of those things require courage, and leaders have to have that, that kind of courage. Courage to say, wait a minute, this isn't working. Ab- absolutely, which takes a tremendous amount of courage sometimes. Sure. Yeah. Uh, we're listening to Rob Jenkins. We're talking about leadership. He 
uh, has written a book called The Nine Virtues of Leadership, and um, he's a senior fellow at Academy for Academic Leadership, and uh, we're talking about the different virtues. Uh, let's go to um, the next one, hope. Boy, without hope, might as well just shut it down, right? Absolutely. You know, and we open up that chapter with a, with a story told by, uh, by Viktor Frankl. Um, it, I think it's in his book, Man's Search for Meaning. And Viktor Frankl, for those of you who don't know him, was a survivor of both uh, Dachau and Auschwitz. Mm. And, uh, and, and he talked about the fact that, uh, that what kept them going in those concentration camps was just hope. Hope. Not even necessarily hope that they personally would be rescued, but hope that there, that there would be a better world, a better future, that, that the world would come out of this dark place that it was in at the time. That's amazing that he would be able to keep those thoughts. Absolutely. Um, in fact, you know, I was just walking down the street the other day and um, wondering what's next. You know, you think that uh, as we age and we get on in our career that maybe this is it. But I have hope that says, no, it's not. It's just going to continue to get better and more right. exciting and all those other things. Absolutely. Charity. Now, what do you, you, do you mean giving away stuff? I mean, how do you define charity? Well, uh, certainly that's one aspect of charity um, is, is being generous and, and being giving. But also, um, and, and we quote um, the, the great passage in, uh, in Corinthians that talks about love and the different aspects of love that St. That Paul mentions. Um, and this is not, by the way, for those of you listening, a, a particularly religious book, but we look at a lot of different traditions. Sure. Uh, Judeo-Christian traditions, ancient Greek, you know, uh, modern-day ideas. Um, but well, even, so, you know, if you look, all right, Christ versus Gandhi, they were both servant leaders. Absolutely. You absolutely. Know. You know, we talk about um, the, the three types of love that a leader needs to have. And, and first of all is um, the love of what you do, a passion for it. We sometimes use that word nowadays, passion a love for the people that you lead, which doesn't even necessarily mean that you always like them. But you're looking out for but them. But you're looking out for them. That, that's exactly right. And They're uh, not just numbers. Right. And, and a love for the organization and a, and a, a deep-seated belief in, in what you're doing and that what you're doing is a good thing. It's good for your clients or customers. It's good for your employees. It's good for the community. Um, so that, that's really what we mean when we talk about charity. And then... Um Here's one that I'm not real good at: balance. Yeah, that's a that's a big topic out there today. Because um, if you're going to be really good and really passionate about something, I mean, you got to be a little compulsive about it, I would think, right? I, I think that's true to a de to a degree, and I think sometimes we have a, a mistaken idea about just what balance is. A, a lot of us picture it as as that you know, like the circus act where the guy's got all these plate spinning on sticks, you know, and he's just, he's got eight or nine sticks and he's just running from one stick to the next to keep the plate spinning so they don't fall. And I think that's how some of us feel in our lives. Sometimes we have jobs, we have children, we have spouses, we have, you know, uh, community things that we're involved in. And we just feel like we're being pulled in, in multiple directions and it, and it's very difficult to find balance. But, but what we say is that if, if that's your idea of balance, just running from one stick to the next trying to keep balanced. the plates you, you really it's first of all it's no way to live and that's not really what balance is balance is really 
more being in the moment, being where you're supposed to be at that moment. That might be at work or it might be with your kids or it might be out on a date with your wife or or whatever. But being in the moment where you're supposed to be, when you're supposed to be there doing what you're supposed to be doing. As a servant leader, you have to understand that you're responsible in a lot of different places. People are looking everywhere for you to lead. Absolutely. Especially the family. Absolutely. That's that's a that's a great place to start and and in the community. And if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody going to be happy. I think we can all agree on that. <laughs> um now here's one that is interesting. I took this test and uh, you talk about wisdom and I scored higher on wisdom than I did on leadership. And I didn't know really quite how to think about that, but um I see you have wisdom as a virtue. Yeah, we believe it's it's one of the core leadership virtues and and basically wisdom is um knowledge used correctly. So it it it's more than just knowledge, but it starts with knowledge. And as as I mentioned, we have a chapter early on talking about the the importance of lifelong learning for leaders. They have to constantly be gaining new knowledge knowledge of their field, whatever mm-hmm. field that is, you have to be up up to speed or the people in your organization aren't going to follow you because they're going to decide that you don't know what you're talking about and you don't know what the latest thing is, the latest trends. Um, you have to be uh, knowledgeable about leadership um, and it doesn't hurt to be just have general knowledge about the world around you. Mm-hmm. Um, but taking that, taking that knowledge and then using it to make correct decisions for your organization, for yourself personally, for your family, et cetera. Um, that's, that's what wisdom is. All right. And we've only got five more minutes. So I need to start wrapping this up. And the last one on here is, is justice. And, um, a lot of times you just, you just look around and scratch your head and justice seems to be defined on a daily basis one way or the other. Yeah. Um, but I, I get what you're saying here. I mean, you've got to, if it doesn't, as you as a leader in an organization, if something is going on that doesn't fit the overall direction of the company, it has to be dealt with. Right. And I think that was probably the hardest chapter to write because, because you're, you're absolutely correct. We, we all agree on the definition of courage. You know, we all agree on the definition of humility, whether we live up to it or not is a separate question. But, but people don't even necessarily agree on the definition of justice. So that, that, was, that was kind of a hard chapter to write. But basically, we talk about justice as as basic fairness and as, you know, again, the, the virtues all work together. So using, you know, wisdom, humility to, to do what's right for the organization, for society, and et cetera, even if it's difficult, which, of course, is where, where mm-hmm. courage comes in. Um, and as I go through this, if you're really honest with yourself, you're not going to be able to score top of the chart on all this stuff. No, but I think that's the point though, right? Right. It's a, it is a lifelong pursuit. We are not suggesting that anybody, you know, just read our book and then boom, you know, you suddenly have these, these virtues. It's a In lifelong fact, there's pursuit. a danger to that, isn't it? A- absolutely. And I think, I think that probably the, you know, someone were to step back and go, wait a minute, I need to look at myself and then read a book and say, okay, I'm going to be like that. Yeah. It's not going to work. Well, it, it, it can, but it, it's going to take time. Right. And, uh, and one of the things that I think makes our book unique is that we take a very practical hands-on approach to that. It's a, it's a philosophical book in a lot of ways, but it, it goes way beyond that. Each of the nine chapters that deal with the nine virtues ends 
with uh, with a list of we call it homework, with a list of of seven or eight very concrete actions that readers can take immediately that will that will start them in the direction acquiring and eternalizing that virtue. Well, um, great conversation. We're going to have to do this again. I appreciate it very much. I, I would enjoy that. I want to go through the book, and uh, once I do that, why don't we, we can get back together and do this again. But I guess the point that I learned on all this is that you're not going to score 100% on all this stuff. You're just this is, a, this is where you need to try to get to. Right. I think it's important that you're really honest with yourself. Absolutely. And if you surrounded yourself with good advisors, they can tell you whether kind of what your style is and where your weaknesses are. But I guess the most important thing is everybody's got an obligation to lead. Absolutely. Um, in your own little world. Yes. Even if it's just leading yourself through the day, everybody's got the responsibility to lead. Yeah. All right. Any last thoughts? Well, I would just like to to remind people that they can find the book. Um, you can get it on our website, ninevirtues.com. Uh, and we do have bulk discounts. We have uh, quite a few organizations around the country that have that have ordered anywhere from 10 to 200 copies for the people in their organization. And they read it together and they study it. Uh, of course, we, we encourage that. You can also find the book on uh, Amazon. We have it in a, in a really nice hardback, uh, which you can get a signed copy of the hardback through our website. That's what I did can, today. I yes. went ahead and bought the signed copy. Good. And you can find it on Amazon. We also have a less expensive paperback and, of course, uh, the, the Kindle the, reader, the Kindle version. Although I got confused with where Kindle was going to deliver it. So <laughs> uh, I'm not sure who, what all those things are. But uh, anyway, phone number, email address, website. Well, the, the, the website is ninevirtues.com. The, the, numer the numeric nine. The numeric nine. That's exactly right. Thank you for pointing that out. People can reach me if they would like at R Jenkins, that's R-J-E-N-K-I-N-S, at aalgroup.org. Aalgroup.org. Okay, well, good. Well, thank you, Rob, for being here. This has been a great conversation, and um, I, I do want to do this again because I think we can all kind of learn on how to just do better on a day-to-day -day basis, whether you're running a big company or whether you're um, running a department or whether your mom at home trying to take care of the kids. We can all learn from all this stuff. Absolutely. Well, thank you all very much for having me in the studio, and I would, I'd be happy to come back anytime. Yeah, because mom is almost uh, probably the best leader out there in a lot of respects. In our home, that's certainly true. <laughs> well, all right, that's, that's our show for today. This has been On the Money. Again, we're the number one small business show on Business Radio X. Um, our numbers are, uh, we had we have 21,000 average listeners, which we're very proud of. On the Money, presented by Embassy National Bank. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at on underscore the underscore money and then the number one. And you can also listen to any of our shows. We have about 70 out there now on a wide variety of subjects for the small business person um, by visiting on the money dot businessradiox.com or go to uh, itunes and download our shows for free uh, we also have a, uh, a video component um, that uh, has worked out real well and you can see those on youtube at the business radio x dash gwinnett youtube channel so until next time i'm joe moss with embassy national bank and as you recall we um end with a couple of uh, words of wisdom, one of the virtues that we talked about there. Uh, be careful out there. 
leave fear in the back seat. Interesting that we talked about courage and stay authentic, which I think just gets into the whole concept of, uh, of honesty and humility. So, um, Rob, thanks again, and we'll see everybody next time. Thank you very much. <laughs>